0: Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com.
2: mobilecom The leg kick and the pitch. Swing and a miss. Back-to-back strikeouts to begin the day for Darvish. Fans already taking up the U-chant. The wind up by Hendricks and the O-2. And that is strike three called. And the next pitch, swing and a miss. Osuna fell down to his right knee on the follow-through of that mighty swing. But he came up empty, and down he goes. First strikeout for Lester. And the pitch on the way. Strike three called. Good fastball by Quintana. The tall right-hander, Alec Mills, set for the 2-2. And here it comes. Bader swings and misses, chasing a low outside bender. That's out number two. And that's strikeout number four for Alec Mills. Some of the guys our next guest has
0: worked with this past season and before that as well on the Chicago Cubs highlights courtesy of us at 670 to score and the Cubs radio network. It is inside the clubhouse and our next guest joins us on the Alpamante Ford hotline Alpamante Ford in Melrose Park.
1: Pitching coach Tommy how be nice enough to take some time off on a dreary Chicago afternoon to talk a little baseball and bring some uh, sunlight into the conversation. Tommy, welcome. Thanks for joining Matt and I today.
3: Hey, guys. Good afternoon. Thanks for having me, man. If this weather doesn't get you ready for Arizona, I don't know. I know. You, <laughs> don't you know bet.
1: <laughs> you bet. So, uh, you know, looking, looking at your team, obviously there haven't been any major additions to your pitching staff at this point there's still plenty of time left and there might be some moves made but you know going into going into 2020 Tommy I know uh you're not Theo you're not Jed you're not David Ross the new manager but what would you say uh are the odds uh from the guys that you have on your team right now of Tyler uh, Chatwood uh being the uh fifth starter on your your staff
3: Well I think um you know, Chatwood is somebody that I think we've always seen as kind of as being a starter. I think he if you ask him, um, he, he's 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 definitely would prefer being a starter. I think seeing him, um, how he pitched down the stretch for us though and, and um how much of a, an impact he had when he was locked in late in the season, especially, um just shows his versatility and what he can do and, and how valuable it is for an organization. Um, I think he's going to have as good a shot as anybody coming into spring training, and that's the plan to kind of get him stretched out and give him an opportunity to, um, to kind of win that role. Um, we have some other guys that you know, are going to be in a similar boat to him, but, but he's definitely um, put himself in the position to, to come into spring training, compete for that job, and, um, and get stretched out and kind of get on a normal routine early early in spring.
0: When I think of the challenges that that Tyler has had to face, and the um, the mental and emotional strength he's had to summon um, to to be uh, to come back, and then you think about Darvish, and we heard the highlight of you Darvish there coming in. How much of your job and and kind of your collective job as a coaching staff is mental with your pitchers? How how much of it is getting them in the right headspace emotionally and in terms of confidence every day?
3: Oh yeah, absolutely. It's you know, it's, there's no, um, you know, getting around how much the, the mental game is, is an impact, not only for the pitching side but the hitting side as well. And you get to a major league level, you get to a point where, you know, um, as, you get, as you come up the organizations in high school, college, all that you, you know, talent can kind of outweigh um, and get you to a lot of different, different spots in your career. You get to a major league level, the talent level kind of, you know, evens out and and you've gotta find separators, you've got to find ways to kinda of make yourself better better. And that, that mental side of the game is one I think that um has, has definitely gotten more credence, you know, recently the way teams are hiring, you know, middle skills coaches and how much they focus on just um, the preparation phase and things like that. And and it is important. And you play as much as you're a coach, as much as you're game planning, you're also a psychiatrist you're a, a shoulder for guys just to, to talk to invent to um and and there is there's a lot that goes into it and and speaking of a guy like tyler to have the year you know he did he, he battled through in 18 and mm-hmm. to put to work in the off season and come into 19 um with not only a a, a a new focus and a new mindset, but just a fresh start. And, and to see him kind of take that and run with it was, it's fun. It's fun to see because, you know, we all see the work. Everybody sees what, what goes on on the field, but what they don't get to see is the amount of time and effort these guys put in off the field. And, and he was no accepting that. And, and he's doing the same thing right now. And I expect him to be, you know, coming into spring training in a, in a good place here um, in a few
1: weeks. Tommy Haddovey, the pitching coach of the Chicago Cubs, joining us on Inside the Clubhouse. We're with you every week on Saturday, back to our normal hour of 9 a.m. next week. Tommy, when you look at Craig Kimbrel, and there was a lot of getting to know you type stuff for you, the pitching coach, him, the closer, him, the teammate, uh, how much would you just attribute the rushing into a new situation where he had uh, only knowledge of a few teammates and just having to be at top form, how much slide should we give Kimbrel just for that? You know, strange situation being the case rather than uh, him not being at top form uh, for the Cubs through the rest of the season.
3: Yeah, it's. I mean, that's a that's a great question. You know, I honestly, it, it's hard to answer because um, as much as you want to attribute. It, you know all that to just a unique circumstance. It's it was really unprecedented what what he tried to do. Um, we haven't had a lot of guys in this game try. You know get held out that long just because of the whole free agent process and you know sign that later in the next year and then you know expect to be to come in and be ready to pitch a high leverage situation that you know, we did. You know our due diligence and did our best to try to map out a um you know a modified spring training for him you know with that with the help of obviously him and his agent and, and their their side of of things wanting to kind of push the envelope a little bit and we tried to you know you're trying to balance all that out so not only is this you know the guy coming in late in the season um we're trying to get him ready, ready for like a, a modified spring training. But then as soon as he's there, he's going into the, some of the most high leverage situations of the season. So, you know, what, what was asked of him, I think, um, in those, in those circumstances is, is difficult. And there's not a lot of people that could you know, probably come through that and be successful. But obviously we all learned a lot through that process as well. Not to say that that's going to happen very often, but more, more about how to handle those situations. And, and he'd be the first one to admit, you know, he, he's, would say, you know, he was ready. You know, when we got him, he felt like he'd gone through the process he wanted to go through and, and he was ready to go. And and then you try to step in in the middle of that, you know, into a team that's really, you know, looking for somebody to to come in and, and solidify the back end of that bullpen. Maybe you put, you know, a little bit more pressure on yourself than than you would under normal circumstances if it started early. So you know, obviously, you know, we're looking forward to him having a, a more normal off season or more um you know normal program he's going to be on and and um you know look looking into this season with him coming in and, and being ready to roll for
0: us hey tommy watching kimbrell um and seeing every once in a while that. That four seam fastball that used to just blow right by guys—a high four seam fastball—go out of the ballpark with 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 a bouncy baseball, and we'll see if it's bouncy this year. Um, and and also with a tick or two lost off that fastball, I wonder if he's got to think about a different approach than he's used in the rest of his career. And if you, as an organization, have any ideas that you're looking forward to talking to him about?
3: Yeah, absolutely. You know, if you look at his career. Um, and you go back to the beginning of, you know, 2010, and then he's, you know, basically, you talk about the last decade of pitchers, you know, at the beginning of the decade, how many guys had the fastball like Craig Kimbrell had, you know, an upper 90s fastball with ride and carry, and and, you know, that fastball played and it was a dominant pitch that not a lot of people threw. Well, fast forward 10 years, you know, there's a lot more guys in the game that throw that, you know, that have that type of fastball, which means hitters get to see it more often. And I I don't want – one thing I don't want to get lost in, in when we talk about Craig Kimball is, you know, he has had this dominant fastball for a long time, but he's also had a really good breaking ball. And I think somebody came out with it was the top ten pitches in the last decade um, in terms of OPS against, and his curveball was I think third on the list. Mm-hmm. Um, not surprisingly, uh, all the pitches in that top ten list were all breaking balls. There were no fastballs, and a lot of that I think is attributed to just how the game's evolved over the last ten years. Um, and so, for me, um, you know, for for him, obviously, we want to get back to that that dominant fastball that he's had. Um, but now it's almost it's more important. Let's let's get make sure the movement is the way we want it. The velocity is, is going to be where it is, but it's more about location and understanding how that plays off the breaking ball as well. And and not lose sight of how well that secondary pitch has played over the last 10 years too, and, and continue to build off of it. And and like I said, you you see bullpens now, nowadays there's, there's four or five guys in each bullpen that throws ninety ninety six ninety seven 96, 97 with some ride. So um, it's just a more, more common thing that hitters do see nowadays.
1: Tommy had to be with us for just a few more minutes and tommy when you uh you looked at the end of the year for Quintana, I was scratching my head uh you know wondering if there was some injury that he was hiding from you guys and that he was you know just protecting himself because this was not the picture we've seen here uh, probably in the last seven or eight of his starts, maybe he had one good one is there is there a way to to figure out exactly what went wrong for Jose because it was? I've watched his whole career, you know, covering both sides of town and I'd never seen him go through a funk like that.
3: Yeah, and and obviously, you know, we talked to Q too, he's never gonna be one to make excuses kind of for, for himself. He's always gonna take the ball that every fifth day and compete and, and bring bring what he has and, and he's such a diligent worker too in what he does. You know, one thing with Q and he really um Carried the load there, I think, for a little bit for us mm-hmm. um, when when a few guys went down. When you know when John when Lester went down early, um, Q went on a really good run. I think it was like five or six games in a row where he let up like I think it was three runs or less in six six games in a row, and it was like seven innings, seven innings, seven innings, and then after the All Star break, right about the time that um, Cole went down. He, um, for a good stretch there for about six games, was going neck and neck with, with Darvish. There was a game, I think he had six innings and punched out 14 in Philly. Um, had a really good run. And I think um, talking to him, he, there was just a lot of pressure he put on himself to like, okay, when one guy went down, he tried to step up. And then another guy went down, he tried to step up. And I think he just caught up to him at the end of the year. And, and if, you, if you look at his year kind of in segments, there were two really, really good stretches where he was pitching as good as anybody we had. And then at the end, I think it just got to a point where he was, he was worn down. Um, He's worked um, really hard this off season. We've been in communication quite a bit. Um, Spoke to him the other day. He feels great. Um, You know, as you get older, um, you just have to keep um, and and stay diligent about the work that you put in, but keep working hard and and training because, no matter how many innings you've thrown this game and how many years you've thrown 30, had 32, 33 starts, 180 innings, 200 innings, it, they don't get easier. <laughs> you know, right. those innings um, are still there and, and you're obviously getting older. So, you know, sometimes we got to change the routine and, and change your, your mindset of how you do things, you know, maybe be a little bit smarter about the throwing program and the sides you do in between, but, you know, Q's in a great place right now. And I think, He learned a lot last year. You know, he he went through some stretches where he was locked in, his changeup was playing and felt great, and then those other times he was out, he was a little out of sync—not necessarily mechanically, but just didn't have the same finish on the pitches that he had. So he learned a lot. He had to pitch through some situations that. You know, he maybe hasn't had to pitch through in the past. So I think he can be better for it, but he's in a good place right now. I'm really excited to get to Arizona.
0: You know, there's a lot of consternation among Cubs fans that, uh, that we deal with on the radio here and on our social feeds and such, Tommy. But one area where I find myself more relaxed than others, and maybe I'm crazy, is the bullpen. Just because I look and I see, all right, the guys I think I might trust the most are sort of organizational finds um, or, or guys that you helped so much, be it Kyle Ryan, Rowan Wick, Brad Wick. I mean, guys who like, whether it's the pitch lab or coaching or helping them focus on the correct stuff, it feels like that maybe you guys have a little something going in, uh, in kind of helping guys be their best version of themselves in the bullpen. What's your confidence level about that?
3: Yeah, I you know, there's there's always something to be said to having, you know, some established big-name guys at the back end of the bullpen but there's also um something to be said for having healthy competition and allowing guys to pitch themselves into situations and and playing off that confidence you know what we saw Rowan Wick do last year and Kyle Ryan and Brad Wick when he came over late and and Alex Mills as he pitched himself into some situations there at the end of the year those guys earned those spots you know and and one of the the most fun times for me during the season last year, unfortunately was when Strope and Kinsler and Kimbrell and c were all down. Right. And we gave these guys an opportunity kind of pitching and to some and situations and, and guys came into their own. And, and, you know, it's, it is, there's, there's always a reassuring feeling when you have a name back there, but, But sometimes, you know, when you have these younger guys that are have healthy competition can play amongst, you know, play against themselves and, and kind of have that. And, and also just come into their own, you know, you have to have for a good bullpen, you know, to, to sustain itself, you have to have guys come up and, and, and push other guys and, and, you know, have new names every single year. So obviously I'm, I'm excited about the arms that we have and, and, how young these guys are and how hungry they are and and you know you start getting to we always talk about 16 the guys were here and what we did but you're starting to get a lot of young guys too that haven't done it you know and and so you're getting back to that hunger that um that people don't have when they have you know they haven't won the won the big one haven't won the world series and so um these guys are working hard it's it's going to be fun to see i mean You know, we're getting to the point now, too, where you're starting to see 95, 96, 97 out of the majority of the arms coming out of the bullpen. So for us, too, you know, I never had 97 (laughs) in my arms. So, you know, it's fun getting to be, you know, the guy to get to play with them and and help them fine-tune things and make them better and and use them as weapons out there.
1: In closing with you, Tommy and Matt, and I really appreciate your time today. Look forward to seeing you at uh, the Cub Convention next weekend as well, the Sheridan what uh, philosoph- philosophical changes will you have to get used to with uh, with David as the manager now, and and not uh, having Joe around anymore? Uh, I know I know that David spent a ton of time with everybody over this off season here, so you probably have a pretty good heads up about what might be different in his expectations from the pitching staff. Yeah, you know,
3: philosophically, I think it. You know we're gonna be we're gonna go into this thing um, with Rossi. You know, early in spring, really trying to trying to maximize the time we have in these games to make it as game like as possible for for him and for all of us, just so he can get in the flow of how he wants to operate, how we want to communicate, um, and how you know how he's gonna want to do things during the season. It, it's funny you you always assume a catcher. In the end, is going to err on the side of the starting pitcher, you know, just because he's he's the one out there fighting, and usually those guys are fighting for them to stay in the game. But it's also a different it's a different story when you're on the side and and you're wondering, you know, what's going on. He's he's going to be so in tune with the game; it's going to be great, and and his energy and his um, just his you know focus is going to be at an extremely high level. It's just gonna be. It's gonna take a little bit of time for all of us to kind of get on the same page with what, um, how we want communication to flow during the course of the game. But you know, the thing with Rossi and and I love is obviously his infectious personality, his his hunger, his drive. What he what he comes in and brings to the park every single day. And I I said this the other day, like he's gonna get so much out of these guys because. You know, when, when he's coming to the park and he's fired up and he's ready to go, it's just you—you want to follow him. You know, you want to follow him on the field. You want to follow him into the trenches, and and you know he's—he's going to be a fun guy to play for. I think the guys are going to love him. He's not going to be afraid to get in somebody's face if if he needs to, and he's going to—and he's going to also have you know, some unique um, relationships with these guys. So, you know, it's going to be fun. I think you're going to see a lot of changes even starting in spring training. We've already discussed a lot of different things that we want to incorporate and, and maybe focus on as a group. And, and you know, the guys are, I, I think will enjoy it. I think they really will. But, you know, he's going to be fun Fun to be around It's fun to be in the dugout with for sure.
1: All right, Tommy, we appreciate it. Matt and I, again, look forward to seeing you next weekend at the, the Cub Convention. Thanks for taking some time out today.
3: No, absolutely, guys. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. You got it, Tommy. Take care.
0: Enjoy, uh, enjoy the spring in your mind while you live here in the crap. <laughs>
3: <laughs>
0: Thanks Thank again. That's Tommy Otterby, the pitching coach for yeah, your Chicago very, Cubs. he's a very
1: refreshing guy uh, because not only is he bright, but uh, he is so open-minded about anything. He, he brings a lot of new school, but he... He has plenty of old school that goes along with him, too. So he is the perfect guy for that job. I
0: tell you, I, I loved the candor in his answer about Kimbrell, that that fastball was more special a decade ago in this league than it is now, yeah, let I alone mean, the fact that he's lost a couple of right? ticks. Well, it,
1: the, you know, when you talk about that, Matt, and, you know, we have to get to a break here. We're going to have uh, Tim Mead, the president of the Baseball Hall of Fame, joining us next. It's it's the command. You know, you you brought it up, uh, and it was the exact right question. You know, that fastball has to be out of the zone. It has to be rising out of the zone. It can't be as hittable as it was giving right. up nine home runs in 20 innings last year. Yeah,
0: and and he's going to be better served at trying to get that knuckle curve over every once in a while, as just, opposed to just, trying to blow people away.
1: It's, it's got to look like a, a hittable pitch, and it can't be.
0: 670, the score is where you are. It is inside the clubhouse in our interesting afternoon slot for another 38 minutes or so. As Bruce said, President of Baseball's Hall of Fame is next on 670, the score.
4: Really, uh, you know, it's a shocker. Uh, once they get the call, you get the call and you say, they say congratulations, you know, it's just all of a sudden, poof, like a brain cramp. And uh, I'm happy for my wife, because it
2: wouldn't have happened without her,
4: and I'm happy for our children, Krista and Casey, and their children,
2: Nico, Alexander, and Hank. So it makes it nice, you know, I thought that
4: at some point
2: that uh, I would go in,
4: but I thought it would be after I passed away, you know, and... This way, I get to uh, share it with uh, my children and grandchildren.
0: That is the Ford C. Frick Award winner, Hawk Harrelson, on the score. A few weeks back after the news had broken and he is headed to the Hall of Fame this summer. Bottom of the hour, brought to you by Northwestern Basketball. Join Northwestern Basketball the new Welsh Ryan Arena this season. Home opponents include Iowa, Ohio State, Michigan, and Purdue. Single game tickets to see Chicago's Big Ten team are on sale now at nusports.com. Our next guest joins us on the Alpamante Ford Hotline. Alpamante Ford and Melrose Park. You're listening to Inside the Clubhouse on 670 The Score.
1: Matt, a gentleman I've been friends with for, I don't know, 37, 38, I don't know how many years, but a lot of them. And now the president of Baseball's Hall of Fame, Tim Meade, joins us uh, on this uh, afternoon here on Inside the Clubhouse. Tim, welcome and thanks for taking some time out today.
4: Well, uh, looking forward to it and and, uh, great to be with you this afternoon.
1: Tim, uh, we just heard from Hawk Harrelson, obviously, on the Saturday of the Hall of Fame inductions in July. Hawk will, uh, you know, have his uh, day in the sun and uh, be able to talk to the media and then also uh, be recognized again on Sunday. Uh, what is what would be the best way for Chicago people to get ahead of the uh, curve here and uh, start making their way as far as accommodations for that weekend?
4: well no, really, Bruce, that's, that's a great question. Obviously, you know, within the surrounding area, of village, or uh, Cooperstown being a village of 1700, lodging's a, a little bit different. With the, the big hotel, the Otisaga is kind of, well, not kind of a tier mark for the, the Hall of Famers themselves, um, you know, present and uh and the fraternity itself. So I would probably start making calls around the area. Some folks come in from Albany. Uh, there are some areas on, on the outskirts of Cooperstown as well, but I would, you know, what we run up against Bruce is there's a couple of uh, uh, parks, dream park and all-star village that hosted about 168 teams, uh, youth teams a week. And uh, so some of the, you know, some of the lodging starts to, to mount up in advance. So I'd, I'd start to work
1: on it now. That'd be a good idea.
0: Uh, how, how about how about the RV crowd? I think people should just drive something they can sleep in somewhere nearby, Tim.
4: Well, Matt, I, I'll tell you, a lot of folks in that area certainly do so for spring training after all the years in, in uh, Arizona, and you see that. So um, I think it's going to be a special weekend across the board, obviously. You know, some, some uh, fin- unfinished business yet here in a week or so. Uh, But Ken Harrelson is is such a draw and has been such a big part of the game, not just in your area, but really, you know, throughout this industry. And I think it's going to be an exciting time. And, you know, as a fan, which is what I am, first and foremost, I'm really looking forward to hearing his, uh, his speech
0: what is um what is your relationship to the voting in terms of do you follow it uh, are you uh, because a lot of people are wondering whether Derek Jeter is going to be unanimous, and I wondered if that impacts you at all or you find yourself interested on that level
4: Well, I think you're interested in in every aspect of it, Matt, but we really won't know until we get into into that room and count the votes and obviously we all follow things on social media you know, and see Ryan's kind of chart as, as it goes along but uh, there's nothing that we know in advance, uh, you know, is in on the Veterans Committee vote in December, set in on that uh, in San Diego. And, you know, you hear a lot of discussion, but ultimately until you actually count the votes, you really don't know. And I think that's that's the exciting aspect of it as well. So there's a lot of things put forth back and forth, a lot of discussion and a lot of debate, um, you know, forthcoming. Unanimous. Who's going to be there? Who's increased votes from the past? Um, I'm as excited about the process as anybody else.
1: Timmy, you've only been there for six months. Uh, you know all those great years with the Angels. You know such a illustrious career as their media relations director and uh, you know the the top executive in that area. And now now this job. But uh, I guess the with your predecessors, uh, the pressure over and maybe now you. The, the pressure over direction from the hall of fame and the people there and not being overly, um, instructive as always has been the, the, the bone of contention over the last five, 10 years because of the unknowns about how to vote for the steroids era. We see some groundswell of voting now for Clemens and bonds in their alleged use. But, um, what has what always, always been the, uh, the Hall of Fame's uh, M.O. when it came to direction or no direction for the Baseball Writers of America?
4: Bruce, that's really a great question. And, and I'm, I'm still learning the process, doing a lot of reading in the history, even after six months and, and prior to that. But, you know, you're asking about PEDs, and I would say the one that I would know I could state factually is the ineligible list of which Joe Jackson and Pete Rose are on. So, you know, we follow really kind of the tone of and uh, direction of Major League Baseball. When it comes to the writers, you know, regarding the topic you just brought up, uh, you know, for, for the ten season that someone's eligible, as long as they have their, exceed the 5%, it's really in the hands of the baseball writers. It's not direction from the Hall of Fame. And it really kind of doesn't become so Until you, you know, you segue into the Veterans Committee. So, you know, not to say that we're Switzerland by chance. Right. You know, but ultimately, we are the Hall of Fame. We're not the committee that formulates the ultimate decisions.
0: It's really interesting. With that in mind, Tim... I haven't been to the museum in a while. Is there anything in the museum that acknowledges that era? Anything? uh, Because some of those guys uh, will be voted in. Um, Some people think some of those guys have been voted in. You know, but whatever. But either way, it's kind of an undeniable era in the game. And I'm wondering if that is represented at all within the museum itself.
4: Matt, it certainly is. And there are also Pete Rose artifacts in the the museum as well. So I think the one thing about history is, you know, I, I, I've kind of likened it in the past uh, where I lived and lived about 10 miles from the Nixon Library. Mm-hmm. When you go through that library, there's an extensive exhibit on Watergate. So it's not the job of a museum to filter history, but to present it in an unbiased manner. And I think that's, you know, the Hall of Fame uh, certainly does that. It, it alludes to that period of time. And it's up to others to, to formulate their own opinions.
1: What's been the, uh, the greatest challenge for you uh, moving from California all the way to New York and then, uh, you know, being able to take over in midstream during the uh, the summer here as the president of the Hall of Fame for our, our good friend, Jeff Idelson, who had done such a great job for a lot of years?
4: Really, he really did. And, and his legacy will continue, Bruce. But. Biggest challenge is connecting flights, trying to get back <laughs> and, and my family, and, and back to Cooperstown. Um, I don't know that it's really challenge. I probably more emotional and personal to step aside. You know, those last few months of the season, from the winning and losing, from the day in and day out relationships of, you know, just the ebb and flow of a season, whether mm-hmm. it's a winning season or or not. It um, kind of did the heart a lot of good to, to go with John Chostakovsky when we worked the World Series and, you know, see a couple of good friends, particularly Howard Kendrick, who had some great postseason moments. Um, I think the challenge ultimately is uh, realizing there's a little bit resource difference of, of working in the Hall of Fame uh, than certainly on the club level. But I would tell you that the, the passion and the dedication and commitment of the new team that I'm working with is is a big reason uh, that I made that the transition. Uh, Jeff obviously played a big role, Jane Clark, an even bigger role. Right. And I think for me personally, uh, you know, I think Scott Reifert feels the same with the White Sox, is that you feel like you're a caretaker. The longer you're with an, uh, an organization, you feel like you're a caretaker of that club. I took that, those responsibilities very seriously with the angels. Now I just get the opportunity to join a group of people and do the same thing for 30 clubs and an industry and it's history. And for me, it's just a, a, a blessing and a privilege to be in that role.
1: Let's make it clear to people, there is no charge to come to the hall of fame and to the induction. It's, uh, get there and, uh, pick out your spot, uh, out there. And, uh, you go, I, I guess the misconception for the people that have never gone, Tim, is that, uh, gee, how much is it going to cost us? And, uh, you know, how many lines are we going to be in? And it's, it's up to, uh, and, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, it's up to the individual and how early they want to get there on induction day.
4: Absolutely, Bruce. We, I, I believe the, um, the Clark center in that area where the ceremony is, uh, I think we opened the, the road about eight o'clock and it's, it's a celebration, and you know, understand. It's not a big parking lot. Is you know, you tailgate. You come out there and you you celebrate one of baseball's great days. And um, you know, one of the great things about it is the fans will come out to celebrate Ken Harrelson and and others. You know, and part of that class. The great thing for the inductee is it's their time to congratulate and thank all the people that played a great role in their life. So. it's a special moment. It's an emotional moment. You know, again, I only have one under my belt, but it's, it's interesting to hear some of the speeches in advance. And uh, as John works on it with the inductee, and then we hear kind of a dry run, you sit back there and you wonder what's that one emotional moment that's going to get to that Mm. inductee when they deliver it, you know, about the family, the wife, the kids, whatever. And it's, it's just a special time.
0: Tim Meade, uh, almost forty years with the Angels. Um, I, I'm, I know you're enjoying your your new job. It sure sounds like it, but it's okay. You can admit it here. Was there a moment during Joe Madden's introductory press conference where you're like, "Oh, I just missed working with that guy as manager"? Like that would be that's going to be a fun run for Joe out there with his old team.
4: It is, Matt. and sure. I mean, the one thing there's there's several people that I can say that we have thirty five to forty years a friendship with an experience. And one of the great things of the hiring of Joe is that, you know, the, the angel blood stayed in him, even with Tampa and and all his success there and in Chicago, obviously. But Joe is a big, big reason for part of that success in 2002 helped develop so many players. Uh, I think he's going to bring an infusion of, of energy, motivation, And just just overall positive vibes, not just in the clubhouse and on the field, but also in the front office. You know, I talked to him beforehand, and um, I'm a firm believer that we're all where we're supposed to be at some point when all is said and done. Um, The only thing I told him, I probably I I tried a little bit to watch most of the Angel games once I got out to New York, but I realized I better start putting a premium in sleep, so I didn't I wasn't (laughs) able to finish all of them, but I'll I'll listen to quite a few of them and and I hope he gets them back to the promised land because Artie deserves it and I think that's the kind of impact manager Joe Madden is.
1: Tim, uh, we appreciate the time. Uh, we will have you on again uh, after uh, the the new class has been uh, chosen and they go along with Marvin Miller and Ted Simmons and Ken Harrelson and our uh, good friend Nick Cafardo and um, uh, late Nick Cafardo as well going in so. Uh, It's going to be a a tremendous time there this summer. I'm going to be there. Hopefully I'll be there and uh, look forward to having you on again right before that.
4: Guys, thanks for the opportunity. And, Bruce, I
1: look forward to seeing you in July. All right. Thank you. Tim Meade, president of the Baseball Hall of Fame, joining us.
0: It's 670 The Score. When we come back, you'll hear from the White Sox manager, Rick Renteria. He was on the morning show yesterday talking about one of the very interesting issues with the current state of the depth chart. That's next on Inside the Clubhouse on 670 The Score. This segment is brought to you by Subway. Subway restaurants feature a different six-inch sub for three seventy-nine day. Subway, make it what you want at participating restaurants. Additional charge for extras, plus applicable tax. No additional discounts or coupons may be applied. Just talking about the ineligible list and Joe Jackson. Say It Ain't So, the song from Weezer. Come on now. Mike Chen on the case. Um, Maggie and Julie are up next yes, right after
1: us. Indeed. From 4 until 5.45. Runs up until... David Schuster in the pregame show uh, for the Chicago Bulls. But uh, you're listening to the ladies as they always bring their unique qualities and information to their show.
0: Julie DeCaro and Maggie Hendricks right after us when we get out of here. Rick Renteria on the station yesterday, Bruce, and something that you and I have talked about a bunch, a lot of people have talked about, is the spot for James McCann on this White Sox roster. Now that Yasmani Grandal is here, now that Edwin Encarnacion is here to play DH, Zach Collins exists, it's pretty crowded For James McCann, but he was a big part of things last year. Yes, indeed. Uh, This is the manager, Ricky Renteria, on our morning show yesterday talking about the role for James McCann and how uh, Ricky might handle it.
2: I've spoken to to Mac several times, and the organization knows how I felt about him during the course of last year. He did a lot of great things for us in bringing our pitching staff through. We're going to have to find a way to make it work. That's as best as I can put it to you. We're going to have to find a way to get two guys that are extremely talented, that have shown the capability of bringing pitchers across, helping us win ball games, and find a way to make sure that we all understand that we can't be selfish. Winning as a team is a selfless, you know, endeavor. You're giving yourself up for each other, and you're knowing that when you're when you're put in a place to to perform, you're there to help your teammate. And so I think he's a team player, and I think he's capable of not only carrying it. Something happens he can stay in there and and, and carry it every day just like he did last year and and grandal who we pick up can do so many things i think that we'll be able to figure out a way to to get the most out of out of both of them and i think that james is is a winner
1: takes a takes a big man to do it you've been through it in your own particular way (laughs) and uh you do have to uh swallow a, a little bit and say you know what um Got to do what's best for me, for the people I work for, and uh, for the collective group to go to the World Series. And I think James has all that within him. But it is a very unfair situation for him.
0: Got to say, I love the way that Rick Renteria talked about it right there, yeah. like it, spinning it towards the positive, setting the expectations. As I'm sure he's done privately, James will handle it the right way. Because the thing is, I, I know, I, I understand, I have empathy for where McCann is, but man, it's winning time. It's winning time, and that's yeah, a luxury you know, that you should you know have.
1: What, but his whole career, it, it's kind of turns on this. I mean, he. He resuscitated his career by having a, an all-star season last year. Uh, he had lost his swerve with the Detroit Tigers, and uh, to have to sit back and maybe catch forty games this year—that's mm. that's awful rough, you know, for a guy that'll be 30, 31 years old, and uh, having to turn the page again in November as a free agent again. That's. Asking an awful lot from an individual.
0: Yeah, no, I, I understand. By the way, um, how do we calculate SHERV? What does that stand for? Uh, statistical It's a spider and a
1: curve. <laughs> it's a combination.
0: No, I, I understand exactly what you're saying. It's, boy, I, I know it's asking a lot of a man personally, but I, I would ask it if I'm Rick Renteria. I would ask
1: it. I, and I, I would hope that they, they do the best they can to get a very good bullpen pitcher back for him. And
0: then uh, very quickly, this is Ricky on where Luis Robert might hit, because I was saying put him in the bottom of the lineup, but Ricky is open to all sorts of stuff.
2: First of all, we got to see everybody in camp and, and, and see where they're at. He's a young man who's had tremendous numbers in the minor leagues and certainly is a, is a high end potential type player. Hugely impactful. Uh, very much like Moncada and any of the other number of young guys that we have. But at least gives me an opportunity to be able to think about, you know, being able to hit him down lower in the lineup. But it doesn't preclude me from not putting him at the top. It
0: doesn't preclude me from not putting him at the top. He's open to it.
1: Well, yeah, you should be. I mean, you got uh, world-class speed. You got a guy that can hit the ball p- ball out of the ballpark. Man. Or hit a double or score from first on a on a double. I mean, uh There's a lot of exciting... Uh, energy coming up from being able to have Luis Robert added to the mix of these other fine-looking young uh, players with the White Sox. Of
0: everything you're going to ask of him, I would just let him hit at the bottom and learn the ropes of the big league life every day and concentrate on playing center field and if he gets on for your top of the order then consider it a double lead yeah, you know situation. By,
1: by June or July, maybe he is the leadoff guy. guy. Right. Who knows? Yeah. Hey, We have people to thank. Uh, Tim Meade President of Baseball Hall of Fame joined us. As did Tommy Harvey, the pitching coach of the Chicago Cubs. Executive vice president of the Chicago White Sox Brooks Boyer talked to us a bit, little bit about what's going on there in SoxFest. Fest. Matt people can uh, look for me on Twitter at MLB Bruce Levine on our website 670 score.com as well as I write about the Cubs and Sox all week long. Big thanks to our friend Mike Chen as well. Great
0: job, Mike. I'm at Matt Spiel 670 on Twitter. The show next week is on at 9 a.m. I
1: like it. Maggie and Julie next, don't miss them on the score. Thank you very much. Arigato, merci beaucoup, shen sheng. gracias. <laughs>